Welcome to DevOps Accents, a podcast on everything around DevOps, public cloud, and cloud-native topics, with your hosts, Pablo, Leo, and Kirill. Hello, and welcome to another episode of DevOps Accent, a podcast where we, the co-founders of MKDev, get together to discuss all things around DevOps and cloud-native technologies with our diverse accents. And for today's episode, we have got ourselves a new accent because here with us today is uh, Marcelo De Polli, a developer and staff engineer with many years of experience whose career journey began across the ocean in Brazil. Imagine that. Hi, Marcelo. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Hi, Pablo. Hello, everyone. Hi, Kirill. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Marcelo. We only had two guests on our podcast so far, but I like the idea of making this uh, a tradition. My first question to our guest. So this question is, what's your accent, Marcelo? My accent is definitely Brazilian. Is Brazilian or Portuguese? Brazilian. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. Yes. Portuguese like to eat the vowels. Do other people notice this when you talk to them? Because to me, before even Pablo told me where you're from, I didn't even understand that. <laughs> so how it sounds, because to me, it sounds like typical European accent. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that is... It, it, but I'm definitely Brazilian. Yeah. If you compare an Argentinian people speaking Spanish or Spaniard, or Venezuelan. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing, you know, a Brazilian and, and a Portuguese. Yeah. And, and it's always when you try to, to say to a Portuguese, ah, you're, you're from Brazilian. They always say, no, I'm from Portugal. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's always super fun. This, yeah. this, this, no. But it's different, you know, the way that they speak. Yeah. This, this Latin way, at least I can feel the difference. Mm. Yeah, me too. I can imagine some people can be, even can be offended by the fact if you misunderstand their accent or something like that. No, not me. <laughs> I, don't, I have no pride in my accent. Good. So another delicious accent in our collection of DevOps accents. You guys who are following us on social media and subscribe to our MKDF Dispatch newsletter probably remember one of my uh, intros to one of the email issues where I talk about uh, the importance of connections and visiting conferences to meet new people, new partners, new clients. And it happened. So we met uh, Marcelo during one of such conferences and we immediately found ourselves entangled in business relationship, but we never had a chance to explore more than that. So this is a great chance for us to talk and discuss because uh, giving your background, uh, it is kind of a cultural exchange <laughs> yeah. from someone who originated from South America and firsthand experienced both worlds, if I can say so. <laughs> no offense, Australia. I remember you exist. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we decided to dedicate this episode to that experience of yours. So uh, could you... Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about how you end up here, uh, where you are today, and what kind of journey that was that brought you from Brazil to Germany. Right. Yeah, that is the big question, isn't it? I, I started my career in Brazil, as you said. I, I was born in Rio, but I moved to Sao Paulo as soon as I I went to college. I went to college in Sao Paulo. So I think I had been, I'd been living in Sao Paulo for over 20 years. So I consider myself more of a Paulista than a karaoke. <laughs> and um, I was always involved with uh, software development in some way or form. I began working for companies outside Brazil pretty early. I think 2004, I began as a front-end engineer uh, doing some work for U.S. companies. And then that pretty much defined my career because I really like being a part of international teams with people like spread out all over the globe. And so it's a really unique experience. And, you know, I've been doing that from Brazil for a long time. But 
um, you know, comes a time when you need to change because everything gets boring after a while. And, and after a while, I got bored of I got bored of doing that too. And I really wanted to to try something different. But the something different for me was actually working in an office. I know it, I know it sounds weird because most people are trying to work remotely yeah. from home, but I was doing that for so long, really, that I, that I got the opportunity to move to Munich and work for a company here that had a nice office. And I thought, yeah, let's do it. Cool. So basically it was like, uh, you, you just... You just scan the internet, LinkedIn for new opportunities, and whoever accepted you, you jumped in and decided to join their team, or you were looking specifically for something in Germany or even Munich in particular? I was looking for something in Europe. I actually tried moving to the US, but it's super hard, and their, their immigration policy is just insane. So I gave up. So I It was literally like that. My wife and I decided to consider Europe as a destination during, you know, we, we, we had this conversation during a weekend. And then literally on Monday, I got, I got reached out by a recruiter in Europe about, the position, about positions in Europe. I actually had a choice to go to London or Munich. And I chose Munich and I, I am really happy with the decision I you know after living in uh, such a huge city as Sao Paulo for mm -hmm. a long time I I really needed a smaller city quiet place with nature safety <laughs> you know uh, if you if you ask you know Brazilians I think are 100% of the responses you're gonna get why you moved to Europe are going to mention security you know, in some way or form, because, uh, you know, just being able to do things that in Europe are considered normal, such as walking in the streets alone at night, mm -hmm. you know, this, these are some these are things that are, are not very, you know, you can't do, do, do that lightly in Brazil. So it's even uh, the issue for someone who who was born and raised there. Because to me, it, it sounds like uh, like a scary tale about how the things are in South America and to scare little children. But in fact, when you are from there, to you, it's like, oh, it's an everyday, it's a, it's a normal thing. And you got accustomed to it. <laughs> naturally yeah but the thing is getting accustomed to it is also a symptom of a deeper issue you know we shouldn't get used to that kind of thing and i and the crime rate issue is a really serious issue you know i had close friends that were stabbed oh my god and they, they were just lying they were just lying in the street bleeding you know without help he's fine now by the way But, you know, you, you shouldn't be used to that, that kind of thing happening to you. Do you think this kind of experience uh, influence uh, your, uh, not just your, but uh, other people in IT on their job decisions to work remotely, Absolutely. to seek for opportunity, opportunities? Absolutely. I have no question in my mind. I have no question in my mind. As I said, you know, I, every, every single person from Brazil that I talk to always mentions uh, the crime rate issue when talking about why did you move to Europe. And, you know, since we're on the subject, uh, crime rate in the U.S. isn't, you know, that good either, especially now it's going up. So I really, really value, you know, being able to live in a safe place now. That that's an interesting Leo only, only, only one point because you need to okay okay Pablo go on uh, if you've never been in South America or Central America is when you don't understand really what an insecure place mean because it, you know I'm married with a Venezuelan woman so and then because of that I've been there and many other countries around 
with her, you know, and, and when you are traveling in these places is when you really discover what violence means. Yeah. And violence means, for example, that during the night in Venezuela, for example, the light of the traffic light is off because you cannot stop with the car in the traffic light because if you stop, someone is going to appear with a gun. So many times they put to us a gun in the face and then you go with a cell phone in the, in the, in the car. Oh yeah. And they, they, knock the wind of the car okay, on a motorcycle with a, with a gun pointed to you. Absolutely. You take the cell phone, you get the cell phone and say bye. So you're not going to fight against that because so it's a country where the violence is, is something insane. But for example, Sao Paulo, and this is something that I want to talk to you, Marcelo, because I think it's super interesting. Sao Paulo is one of the 30 of the 20 of the 40 biggest cities in GDP in the planet third. Yeah. So we are talking about no, no big city, a monster. And, and we are talking about, I, I can't think that maybe if you compare it with Mexico, DF, one of the two biggest cities that are in, in, in central South America, if we don't take account in, in America and the, all the whole three continents, uh, central, north and south, if we don't take account about Canada and we take out uh, USA too. So I think that Sao Paulo and maybe Mexico, DF are the two, two biggest cities. So so they fascinating to, you know, the, the fact to, to be an entrepreneur there, to, to work there, you know, because for sure that the insecurity is there. Uh, it's South America, you know, uh, it's how it is. At the end, it's, it's in the blood and then you are never used uh, the la last version of the iPhone on the street. You, you're always trying to hide all the, that you have unless that you have a bodyguard with you. That this, this happened to us, for example, in Mexico, that we had to go with bodyguard, not for us, you know, for friends of us. So all these kind of themes, you know, at the end is, is, is crazy, but it's truly spectacular to, not to, to be an entrepreneur there. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but yeah, it's. But being an entrepreneur in Sao Paulo is, you know, surprisingly good. I mean, surprisingly because the this the startup ecosystem is is uh, is really advanced, and you have a whole network of investors, advisors, mentors, uh, engineers, designers, anything you can possibly think of. The overall mindset is i would say advanced in the, in the sense that those people that are involved with startups they're usually very prepared they're usually uh, very familiar with uh, with everything that's involved and uh, you know with with creating a new product reaching product market fit you know ag agile development all well, those those kind of kinds of things that you need to be aware of when creating a company. You can you can get a lot of support over there. I actually began getting involved with startups by doing um, a startup acceleration program, a really quick one. It's like a, a mixture of a school and a and an accelerating program called Startup Farm that was in 2011. Right, you know, right at the beginning when I began, I was trying to be a a startup founder, I I could already see that we had the whole ecosystem, you know, with a lot of good people. So yeah, that was pretty good, in spite of the violence. Even the market in Brazil is different to the market in Europe, no? Yeah. Uh, uh, because I, I can imagine, for example, do, do you see here, you know, all these people with this new iPhone 13, iPhone 14, iPhone 15, you know, all these new smartphones. And, and for example, I, I say that because of people that I know in Venezuela, when they create an app for the mobile, they cannot think in an iPhone. They have to think in the old version of Android. Yeah. Because most of the people is using those very bad cell phones. Yeah. It's the same thing that when, when, when you do something in Africa, at the end, you cannot think in the latest version of the iPhone 15 and going to do something thinking of that. You need to think in, in a very old, but at least old version of Android and everything needs to be working because most of the people is working in, in, in Android. Yeah, it's the same thing in Brazil. Most of the users, mobile users, are Android users. Mm. And I, 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 if I'm not wrong, iOS is growing in market share, but Android is still huge. And uh, but one thing that's important to say is that Brazilians are very curious and they're very technology. Uh, they have a, a big affinity with technology. They're really, they're really anxious to try new things. 
and you know create accounts on every new service. And uh, you can also see that by the amount of local services that exist in Brazil. We have a lot of local companies, like, uh, for example, Mercado Livre, which is, by the way, from Argentina. Yes. <laughs> right. And, and this is something good to talk about this company because... Exactly. It, it, it's, it's Amazon, but in, in South American way. Exactly. Amazon is going to have a hard time Yes. Getting into Brazil because of Mercado Livre, because everybody buys. I used to buy things every day in Mercado Livre. And the reason they're so good is that they invested billions in logistics. They So by the time Amazon decided to even pay attention to the Brazilian market, Mercado Livre already had invested in logistics and they were able to deliver the next day, right? Sometimes the same day. So I could, I could go on and on about the local uh, companies and the local software. One important thing is that the, these local uh, software companies are good. The experience, the user experience is good. Customer service is good, you know? So in in general, they're much more advanced. It's a much more advanced ecosystem than in Europe. I even heard like uh, Brazil is a unique country because uh, not just people, but government adopted a lot of uh, IT services and you can have like uh, a lot of things you can do or, um, appointments, uh, tax payments using uh, a simple WhatsApp application, if I'm not mistaken. And, and that's the, one of the reasons why WhatsApp is so popular on Brazil and other uh, messengers are having a uh, rough time trying to enter this market because everybody uses WhatsApp. Not because it's very convenient to chat using WhatsApp. They have a lot of downsides. But uh, because uh, WhatsApp is so well integrated in everyday life of a uh, typical Brazilian person. Yeah. <laughs> and and th th that's kind of ecosystem that exists uh, inside of uh, its own ecosystem and it's almost like an entire different world in terms of how we communicate and how we work using international platforms but that's what you describe like we have our own yeah, yeah. in in europe we will use amazon because why not uh, and ups delivery it's everywhere in europe usa Everybody uses UPS, but uh, <laughs> in Brazil, it's your unique environment, and it's kind of, kind of uh, different, di different experience if you try to launch a new product there, if you are not Brazilian uh, yourself. You had uh, your own experience trying to launch a startup and trying to do that. Uh, do you have, I don't know, insights of how it works, what you should take into account uh, when you're trying to do that and how it's different from what we are doing here in Europe or in the USA? I wish I had more data about Europe. I, I have a, a, a little bit of data about the startup environment in, in here. Well, it shouldn't be like a strict data, like a marketing data for people to analyze in the future. Yeah, but <laughs> no, when I say, yeah, when I say data, I Experience, mean personal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I say data, I mean personal data. Yeah, one thing, uh, for instance, that people you know, that can be very surprising about uh, trying to do that in Brazil is that money is not a problem, right? So that pretty much goes against your expectations because it's. Uh, poor country, you know, and uh, and then people also has, have this idea that you need money to to start a company. But really, that was never a problem, at least for me. The All the times that I tried to, to have a startup in Brazil, I had people begging me to take their money, literally, you know. And because there are so many investors and there are really a lot of people that really want to get into this. And, and these people, you know, pretty much don't know what they're doing. And, and uh, they're really focused on tech, tech startups. They're, they're not just you know, investors that work 
on, on different uh, area and they but they try they they want to try their hand there. The first time I I tried to do a startup was that uh, acceleration program I, I I mentioned. That was it feels like so long ago, but it was in 2011. It was a platform for uh, publishers to manage their ebook catalog. And the, the, the biggest problem that publishers were having is that ebooks were growing and they were afraid it was going to eat into their, mm-hmm. their business, eat into their catalog. And they had no idea how to basically migrate from a, a paper based uh, catalog to a digital catalog. This is actually still a problem. This hasn't been solved. Mm-hmm. But sadly, I wasn't going to be the one to fix that problem because even though you know, we got to a pretty good point regarding making you know, good relationships with publishing uh, companies and we had a lot of partnerships, but I had the, the, the company, the startup had internal problems between the founders. So I had a fight with my co-founder. Mm-hmm. And sadly, this is one of the biggest reasons why startups fail. And uh, we eventually decided to give up. I, I have a small question. Uh, those those partners and publishers uh, you're talking about, were they from Brazil or they were like uh, international publishers who already was? 100%, 100% local, 100% from Brazil. Yeah, that's a, that's another point. When you like uh, start a startup in Brazil, like what's your first target? Because I can imagine when when we work in Europe, like especially SaaS products are originally targeted international, at least for uh, mainland Europe, uh, right? Because it's like it's by default there are not so many local things that you can focus on and. And, and, and try to uh, create a startup that focuses on uh, local things. But when <laughs> in Brazil, it's a different thing. And was it by default? I think, think the market, Leo, that you have 200 million in, in Brazil. Yeah, 200 million. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and that's another point. Like so many people, uh, and so many uh, large country, uh, large market. And uh, was it your default idea to um, to only target local market? It's the common thing in uh, Brazil. Yeah, no, you really want to go global. I mean, if the the thing that uh, you really want to go for with a startup is you really want to go global. You really want to address a global problem, right? Mm. You really want to go for the the biggest market you possibly can, and in that case, the publishing business, uh, it's also a global uh, problem that's faced by publishers uh, everywhere. But what what people do, and this is a pretty interesting approach, is you launch, talking about uh, Brazilian founders, is you usually launch a product locally for the Brazilian market and you use that experience as a trial run to improve your product, improve your processes, improve your experience, and then you, you go global. That's that's what the founders of Brex did. Um, they're a really interesting company. They're based on the US. They have uh, a credit card, a corporate corporate credit card for to allow companies to have easy credit, right? To basically do everything you need to start a company. And you you just you can just Start you open your startup using a credit card as your main credit line. It's an amazing company, but those but the same founders they're all from Brazil. They already had experience previous experience with a payment platform in Brazil that was 100% local. Actually, a pretty good uh, also a pretty good payment platform, and they used that experience and to to jumpstart their new venture, you know, with a, a more global audience. So this is this is something that that's a pretty interesting approach. You know, you you launch in Brazil, taking advantage of the fact that you know you have a good environment and a pretty advanced uh, uh, consumer market as well. The good the good thing that you have in in these huge countries like I don't know uh, Brazil, Russia, 
uh, USA. Uh, this country with more than 8,100 million is that even if you are not able to expand your, your company, because uh, imagine that you are a, a consultancy company like we are here in NKDF and we only have customers in, in a huge country with 200 million. The good thing is, okay, a relative in, innovated country. The good thing is that, for example, in, in you're, you're in a startup and you're able to create a B2C application and I'm not talking about 200 million, but if you have 2 million, you have more than what you can expect. And I'm talking about only 2 million, that is only 1% of the population. Imagine whatever food delivery. I'm telling the, the typical apps that all of us we have in the in the cell phone, the typical app for a, for a taxi or for a motorcycle, because in, in South America, the people normally, they, they hire a motorcycle. You don't hire a, a, a car, but okay, you can hire whatever these things. So, you know, all these kind of tools that you can have today. So if you are able to get two millions, I cannot imagine how hard it is to get two millions of customers in Europe, because in Europe, if you're in Spain, it's in Spanish, in Portugal, Portuguese, you go to France, now it's, it's, uh, it's French. Okay, in the middle Andorra, they speak Catalan, but okay, they understand French and Spanish. If you go to Italy, you go Italian, French, Germany, German. You go to Austria, okay, it's, it's German. But if you go to, to Slovakia, you know, you just start to check and check and check the amount of different legislations, the amount of different languages. And, and now you're in Brazil, 200 million is the same country. Yeah. So I have to imagine that many companies, they decide, they decide, wow, you know, how hard could it be for us to go to Europe? Because Europe is a bit a nightmare. So maybe I can go to USA because all of us, we know that when you're in South America, you never think in Europe, yeah. you think up, you think in USA, you're never thinking in, in Europe normally. Yeah. So when you want to increase, grow, or you want to think for a venture capital, you want a VC, you say, okay, I'm going to check in the American venture capital. I don't want to check in the, in the Europeans because at the end it's, it's normal. There are no challenges that we couldn't overcome. Whether it is immediate infrastructure problems or planning a future project, we won't simply answer your questions. We become a part of your team to help you complete the mission. Our solutions consider the interests of your business and the combined expertise of the industry, as our staff is made up of more than a dozen experts in different areas who share decades of field-tested experience and knowledge with you. I think Brex is a good example uh, of uh, like a successful company that expanded to other markets, uh, other countries, because Brex is a fintech company. And it's more or less universal thing in regardless where you live, as long as you have access to internet and you pay with Visa and MasterCard. Uh, but what you are saying about Pablo is, uh, startups or companies that have to, uh, communicate or operate with people in one or another where your clients uh, should be locals from here, uh, for, uh, I mean, uh, your clients are local on the, on the country where you are contacting to, to them or even partners, suppliers or something like that. And, and this is a case where you have to take into account the differences, cultural differences, uh, between, um, between land, between countries, where you live and where you came from. And this is very important. But uh, there are a lot of companies, there are a lot of startups that discard this idea. And at the same time, they try to market uh, their tool or their application globally uh, like it's uh, without taking account into account cultural differences. And uh, I can't give you an example from top of my head how of that, but I remember us trying to apply some services to uh, that we tried to use, we, we successfully used in one market, but then we tried to apply something to a different market. And then you have to make a, a whole new research on how people even call this kind of service because uh, they people won't even find you uh, when they Google something or similar service because they use completely different words for that. 
And this is something that you have to take into account. And, and, and if you try to market, for example, into Italian markets as, uh, as something that you successfully sell to Spanish people, and, uh, simple, simply, uh, translating with Google how your services would call in Italian uh, won't work because for Italians, there is a completely different, uh, thing for that. And they call it differently and they even consume it differently. <laughs> and you won't succeed uh, if you're not going to make a, a whole new research. But for Brex, it was easier because for uh, we are already familiar with this concept of uh, payment and everybody use it. Exactly. Yeah, they already they were already familiar with payments. Uh, they also uh, their product had a big appeal to other startups as well. So, and they were accelerated by Y Combinator. So they, uh, as soon as they arrived in the US, they already has, had access to this community of, uh, that they call Y Combinator alumni, right? So also other startups were really interested in trying out their product. And, and one question, Marcelo, because you are the co-founder of LightApp. Okay. Oh. Co-founder or ex-OS co-founder, yeah. but okay, uh, you you were one of the person who created. Do you know what? For example, in this case, what technology you were doing? What this application would do? What what was doing? How hard it was, for example, for you to find in mind because I can I can discover here that the, you were using GraphQL, so and, and PostgreSQL. Do you know what kind of technology you were doing? Oh, why GraphQL? Do you know what kind of of themes you were doing there with the data? Yeah, uh, so LifeDub was my second attempt and also a failure. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not completely a failure. Uh, I can tell the story. So LifeDub was something that uh, a friend and I started in 2018. It's uh, a mobile app uh, focusing solving a very real problem. It's the problem that music bands cannot play together remotely, right? It's, so if you have a band, it's very, very hard to rehearse or, you know, just play together in, in a way at a distance, right? You can't play together when every single member of the band is in a different place. That solution doesn't exist yet. So we really wanted to fix that and also kind of drawing on both our experiences with music and uh, it was a really exciting, exciting product to work on. And uh, we had a mobile development team located in the south of Brazil, in a different city, in Curitiba. And we had a really good Android guy, really good iOS guy. And um, GraphQL was actually was actually my choice. I was doing the backend and uh, I was the server guy and uh, I thought GraphQL was going to be a good choice for it. Uh, just because, uh, you know, for, for mobile apps, it's very easy to, in GraphQL, render the, the whole page with a single request, you know, instead of doing multiple requests, you know. So yeah, that was LiveDub. And and we ha also had a great designer working with us. But eventually what happened is uh, we realized this problem was going to be much, much harder to fix than we imagined, you know? And I had to make a choice. We either would take in a big investment, like VC level of money, and then try to really do it or, or, you know, no. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I didn't want to do that because it would be a really high risk proposal, a really high risk thing to do. You know, it's a, it's a very, very unexplored territory. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's a personality thing. Uh, I didn't want to take that kind of that big of a risk trying to fix a problem that no one else did 
with other people's money, I I just, you know, I got cold feet at the last minute. But my partner and and uh, and the designer and the developers, they kind of continue with the product. I left and the app still exists and they're trying to make it work like uh, on the back burner, right? They, they're not focusing on it anymore. My former partner, Hiko, was also in another company at the same time. This other company is called Score, and it's a pretty interesting company. It's a company in the area of knowledge management and education, more with the corporate focus. And I actually helped them get started by programming their first prototype. So I, I did their first prototype, but at the time I didn't join the team, so they they went on and they became really successful. Of course, the only one I didn't join became successful and they sold the company to Universe Online, the biggest web portal in in Latin America. So, yeah, I mean, you can eventually do that. But I decided to come to Europe instead. Yes, because at the end, many times people create companies only with the idea to sell the company, no? So I... I... Yeah. Of course, no. You want you want uh, you want to give your investors some kind of exit, right? But this is actually a limitation of the of the Brazilian market and startup ecosystem. It's it's still not mature enough to really offer you a realistic possibility of an exit, like either selling the company to another company or making an opening, you know, making an IPO. It's really hard to do that. Really, really hard. Uh, this, my, my partner with SCORE, uh, they were, you know, they did a really good job make, uh, being able to sell to Universal Line, but there are also you know, thousands of companies that can't find an exit like that. And so this is, a, this is actually one of the biggest limitations of the local uh, market. It's still hard to sell the company or do IPO. Have U.S. companies trying to acquire companies in Brazil often? I think Brazil is a market that's more interesting for if you're already there, right? if you were born there, because it's, no, I've been saying how, I've been here saying how advanced it is, but I didn't say the downsides. Uh, regulation is really hard. The tax, the tax system is horrible. Brazil has the most complex tax system and in the world. This is no joke. So all of this, and also you have, in addition to that, you have an environment where you don't have established rules and established laws that give you the, the, the security as an investor that, uh, that the economy is going to be stable for a long time. You still have that feeling that anything can, can happen at every single time, you know, and the, and the rules can change and that's not good for business. So for that reason, uh, Brazil is, you know, sorry to say that it's becoming less and less interesting, I think, for international investors and could be much better. I think it could be much more interesting for people on the outside. But sadly, I think we need to work on those issues, you know, first. I can talk from my experience in Venezuela that is what you said, you can make money, but this is an internal money. Exactly. Because at the end, it's, it's, it's difficult later on to, because of everything. And then even, for example, in Venezuela, you have a, a problem with them, with their own money that you cannot change the the, the, the money that you have in Venezuela. So you even, you, you don't have a national coin, you're using dollars, so, but you cannot go to the bank and have, do, you know, all this complexity thing. But for me, what I discovered in Venezuela is that the, the, the most complex thing is next. And I saw that in other countries in Venezuela, in, in, in South Central America, not only in, not only in Venezuela. And it's, it's the same way that the, the family is something so important from, for the people, you know, because when you have a, a lunch, it's not only a lunch with your, 
with your brother. You have a lunch with 25 people and then one other one appear and then another one, another one. And then you end up in why there are so many people here. You know, I wanted to have a, a simple lunch. You know, at the end, what happened is that you're living in a, in a circle. And for example, you're living in a 20 million city and you say, wow, it's impossible that the people meet each other or know each other. But at the end, you're living in circles. Yeah. So the people that is in a social class are living in, in this circle because they all, they go to the same schools all they go to the same clubs because there is something that there, there is no in Europe are the clubs, the social clubs. And in the club, you have a swimming pool. And then, for example, you go to the Italian club or the Switzerland club or the Portuguese club or in Brazil, the Spanish club in Sao Paulo, these kind of clubs that you go to Galician club and the La Hermandad Gallega, this typical in all the cities around South America. And in these places, you know a lot of people. And maybe there are 1,000, 2,000 people in this place and you went to the same school and you went to the same university and between all of you, you make a network. And this network is so hard to, to get when you're from outside that you, you're coming from USA, you're coming from Europe, you're coming from whatever place and you appear in South America, Central America, North America, Mexico, I mean. So, and then it's who you are, you know, because you can go and, and, and put money. But you are going to be without this network. And this is super important because, yeah, exactly. because with networks are nothing. No, man, you're, you're touching on a very, very real issue here because the most important thing you can have is your network. You know, I, I don't think, even in the US, after I, start, I started working with uh, companies in the US, every job I got from US companies was always by recommendation. Always, you know, not, not never because I applied to a position, you know, that's not, that's not the main way to hire people contrary to what people may, may think. It's all by recommendation. And when you move to another country, you just reset your network. You have no network anymore. And so hard. It's so hard. This is the hardest thing for me, especially because I, I, I'm used to having a, a pretty, pretty big network in Brazil and the U.S. This is, this is really hard. You moved to Europe in post-COVID era, basically uh, 2021st. Yeah. It's uh, like in the middle of pandemic or it's was starting to run off already. And I, I can imagine it was a kind of challenge to you because when you come from environment where uh, network and connection means so much and then you move to Europe uh, immediately after COVID, And uh, the, the, the time and the place where people are scared to get personal <laughs> to each other, to meet in public. And that's the, the time when uh, it's, uh, the, a new trend arrived uh, working from home uh, rather than in office. And here you are. Wanting, okay, wanting to work in office, coming to Europe, <laughs> like how was that to you? <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty interesting adventure, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty big life change, you know. I'm not gonna deny, it's a pretty big life change, but uh, also it has a lot to do with with uh, the quality of life, uh, for instance, and it, and it has a lot to do with. The pandemic, as as you said, like my wife and I spent two years practically locked up in the apartment. After going through that, we're just like, I want to do something else. I want to live something. I want to live somewhere else. I want to do something different, you know. And and Munich and Bavaria, in general, are places where people live outside a lot. You know, they go. They they are always moving around. They're always. Uh, doing hiking somewhere near Bavaria. They're always uh, going to a lake, going to yeah. a park. Kirill can confirm. This lifestyle, yeah, this lifestyle, which is basically the opposite of what I had, also attracted me, you know. It's so different to live in a place where the outside is inviting you, you know, because it's beautiful, because it's clean, because it's safe as well. And all of this is the opposite of what it had. In Sao Paulo, people pretty much also have an, a history of staying home, staying locked up, isolated. So Sao Paulo self-isolated before it became a trend. <laughs> exactly, before it was cool. 
yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a big life change. Not gonna deny. But when I look, when I look out of my window and I see squirrels and and birds, I I'm kind of reminded of why I did this. Yeah. And and this is a good a, a good point. Did you did you plan to go back to São Paulo at some point? Or? No way, no way, absolutely not. <laughs> Just to visit. So you you went to be a a, a German or a Bavarian? Yeah, I I I, I I'm not sure if I want to be a German, <laughs> but maybe I I I'm now in that limbo where I'm I'm nothing. You know, I don't have a nationality anymore. That's the best kind of nationalities. <laughs> when they have don't have one yeah exactly and now for example you're, you're working in in better talk but okay when, when did you go two years ago for how long are you are you working in oh no uh you know i've i've been at better talk for four months yeah four months but okay uh, do, do you plan to okay after the time that you're going to be in whatever company because and i don't want to any of your Big boss is telling anything or hearing anything. So, you know, after a long time and after everything is super successful, <laughs> do you plan to to create a, a, a new startup in, in Germany? Did you ever think about that? Well, here's the thing. Both times when I created my two startups, I lost all my money doing that. Because let's say I'm a, I'm a bit more adventurous than I probably should be. You know, <laughs> and I don't want to do that again. So maybe I'll start something, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely not going to drop everything and and believe in an idea and try to create a company with my, my savings. I did that twice and I'm not going to do that again. You know, me, if I do it, you know, it's, Gonna have to be something probably smaller, uh, smaller problem that I can solve, you know, on my free time or something like that. You know, I'm probably not gonna be able to get away from it to, for, for too long. I really like. Yeah, it. Be, be an entrepreneur is okay. There is upside and downside for sure. When you create something, yeah, it's your like your little kid, and I have two real. No, okay, I have many, many. Many fails too, you know, but okay. I, and many others that are not a fail, you know, and I'm happy of everyone because you always learn. And I, I think it's, it's, it's always good, but this sensation that you have when you're creating something yeah. is not the same that when you are working in the company of others. It's not the same. Even when you are, now I am, yes, now I start working like the, the guy who cleaned the floor and now I am the, the, the guy who are pressing the button in the elevator on, now I'm the manager of the hotel, and now I'm the CTO, and now I'm the CEO of the company. Even if you are jumping, uh, we need to differentiate between uh, who owns and, you know, and, and who manages a company. And, and when you own a part of a company and at the same time you create a company, it's something super, you know, this assignment is, is completely, completely different, at least to me, to the assignment that you have when you, you know, when, when you work for the company of others. Because when you work for the company of others, it's like, in my case, for sure, it's like, oh, okay, here I am. So, you know, I, I'm giving you myself. But, you know, it's different because when, when something is yours, is you're giving yourself two or three times per day. So, and, 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 and you put all the passion and all, all the all the themes. And I think that, for example, uh, every time that I have a fail, I always think, okay, which one is going to be the next one? No? Because... <laughs> Always there will be anyone I cannot imagine, you know, with, uh, you know, with my, my 40 something years and, and says, okay, that's all, this is going to be the last one. So, because I have a plan, you know, <laughs> and this, <laughs> and this plan is going to work and, and the plan is continue with the, with the plan forever, you know, because there is no stop for this plan. <laughs> so, but in my opinion, I think that when you're an entrepreneur, you always have these little butterflies in your in your stomach that is telling to you yeah. to need to, to try and try and try. <laughs> You're so right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, but it's but as you said, it's it's different, right? It's so different from working for a company. But you know, uh, at the same time, I agree with everything you said. You know, trying to create something is a is a sensation that you can't have any other form. But at the same time. You need to be ready for the ups and downs and the anxiety, you know. And I'm not sure if I'm 
emotionally mature enough for that. You know, <laughs> the the anxiety is too big. You know, it's 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 pretty big, and uh, yeah, in that sense, you know, sometimes. I, I And what kind of advice, I'm sorry, Leon, if, because I want to make this question because I think it's super important. What kind of advice do you want to give to a person who wants to, imagine that some person with 20, 25, 30, or even 50 or 60, whatever, but I, I tell in 20s because it's when you start the first time or with normally with your 20s, what is the, what kind of advice you can give to this person after what you consider that I am not considered that to your fails, that for me is it, not a fail because what you are is part of what you were. So if it's not because of these two, what you mean, you call fails, you were not here, you know, and you are here talking with us. So no, what kind of advice you can give to these people that mind that they are today here and they want to start? I think a, a really big thing to say is that uh, you have to become a, a good programmer first, you know. Uh, don't believe the people who tell you that the idea is the most important part. It's not. The idea is worth nothing. It's all about your capacity to execute, your ability to ship software. You know, this is the most important thing. So yeah, I would say don't worry about being a founder or entrepreneur, but worry about, you know, being a really good engineer first, because this is the most important thing. You know, it's 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 even funny because every This goes for me and for a lot of people that I know that are, you know, experienced engineers. We're all we're all uh, receiving these offers all the time from entrepreneurs that have this amazing idea. You know, it's great, it's perfect. It only needs someone to build it. <laughs> you know, so we hear we really this is. Almost on a daily basis, we hear stories like that. And, you know, it's it's hard because you're going to tell them, you think you have something because you have an idea. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's really, it's not worth as, 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 as much as you think. I cannot agree more. Yeah. Worry about being a good programmer first. In, in a paper, everything could be... Could be painted, you know. Exactly. It's, it's true. I, there is an Spanish expression, I don't know how to say in English, that you know, that you can put everything in a paper. Yeah. But really, if you are not able to to move everything that is in a paper to the real world, is when you discover that, okay, come on, this is this idea that was so simple here. Yeah. It's not so. By the way, speaking about uh, moving ideas from paper to real world, uh, how would you compare developers and DevOps engineers that you had to work while being in South America to the ones that you are working today. Is there a difference or it's a common trope that everybody hires the cheapest uh, manpower from across the ocean <laughs> something like that? Yeah, the, I mean, the trope that people hire the cheapest manpower for, from across the ocean is True to an extent, you know, in my case, whenever I worked with U.S. companies, I was always treated as part of the team. I had great experience, you know, doing that, no problems with me at all. You, are, you also asked an, an interesting uh, question, which is the difference in, in uh, development culture between Europe and Brazil, right? And this is a little bit tough because I think Right now, at my current company at BetterDoc, I think I was really lucky. I, I think I'm in a really good spot because I got lucky to to work with someone who is really experienced with startups. And my boss is someone who has successfully taken a company all the way from a startup to the IPO. So it's it's a different environment. And I, I'm lucky to work with really good people. And here comes the but. But outside of that, you know, I really feel that the startup culture as a whole is is less. Uh, not I'm not going to say startup culture. The the culture, the the development culture, the engineering culture, you know, is this is just my impression. Okay, you can just you can feel free to knock me out as much as you want, but this is has been my personal experience. The development culture, the engineering culture that I found 
in Germany was uh, a little bit maybe dominated by a corporate culture where it doesn't really matter if you're a fantastic engineer or not. You're just kind of trying to kind of keep your job, you know, do the least amount of work you can, mm. you know, that kind of mindset that I'm pretty sure you you all of you know what I'm talking about. I found that mindset way more here than in Brazil. I have no idea why. I have no idea what's, what's the reason behind it. That's an interesting observation. I can assume people are like the the more wealthier country, the more people are tend to take care of their time, how they um, how they distribute their work time and free time, uh, this life work balance, uh, rather than if a country is more uh, is less wealthy. Uh, th and people are tend to consider their own time less, less more loose, okay? And they they prefer to work a little bit more to earn more, and they they just get get used to uh, I don't know uh, spend spend time on trying to earn a little bit more. When they when they need that, rather than when you live in a in, in a great country, when in a wealth country, and you know that uh, when you work, you are basically secured. You are know that there is stability, uh, so you can allow yourself to work from A to B and not trying to do more than than your service level. Uh, agreement dictates something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think people have a different relationship with work uh, in different countries, of course. But I think being in this position in, in Germany, I was able to to observe firsthand how different this relationship is in in Germany uh, in comparison to Brazil. One thing that people say about Brazilians is that. We are quote unquote hard working. You know, Brazilians are hard working. You you hear that a lot. But I'm not sure if hard working is the best way to describe it. You know, one thing I think, you know, Brazilians think about work in terms of relationships, right? My work is a direct consequence of my relationship with the people in my team. If someone in my team needs me to do something, and this is important for them, it's more or less automatically going to be important for me. You know, now the Germans think, Germans think in a completely different way. Germans think like this, this is my job. I, I only go this far. Mm -hmm. I'm not going that far because that's not my job. Okay. This is where I stop. And they only go that far. It doesn't matter if the whole company needs it. It doesn't matter if your whole team is going to be better because of it. You are only going to go that far. And that leads to a, a lessened sense of ownership, you know, because everybody is just trying to do their job according to their own understanding of their job. Mm -hmm. But those agreements are never perfect. You know, at the end of the day, you really need to accomplish things as a team. And uh, sometimes that may need, you know, people to do slightly different things from what they expected, you know. And you're probably going to find out that Brazilians are always going to be up for it <laughs> because of, I don't know, I, I don't think it's an economic uh, reason. I think it's a 100% cultural thing, but Germans, you know, they're, they, they, they're not, they're not up for it. <laughs> My first experience with Germans, it was in, in Munich, in Amadeus. And I remember the, the point that when the, the, the time, you know, because I come in from a country that might just start to work at eight o'clock and they're telling to you that you need to leave at five and it's seven and you're still in the office and it's eight and you're still in the office. And I remember this moment when it was four and everyone left the company. Yeah. And it was something like looking to everywhere because I, 
what's going on? Is there an earthquake? <laughs> yes, because I, I was I was thinking that something something was happening with the I don't know whatever whatever thing you know maybe they are testing the fire alarm or something. Really, <laughs> I, I did not understand that, and everyone left. And the, the second day, the same. <laughs> and then you are used to stay in the office until six, seven. Yeah. And the third day, fourth day, I'm from Spain for sure. You are living and living with you, you know. So why am I going to be here? And you are living. But then you are living and you are thinking when you are living. Wow, I, I live in and I, I did not do all, all all that I have to do. Oh, I live in and, and, and they are living because they do the job and the job is over and there is there is a cut of time. But in Spain, the people is not living because something even worse. The people is not living because they are telling, okay, the boss is there. <laughs> and if you are living, he or she is going to see you. And then he or she is going to open the notebook, is going to put an X. And then next time, if I had to fire someone, you're going to be the first one. So, exactly. And, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a panic culture of work, you know, because you're working with, with panic and, and it's crazy. But a, a little point only talking about the culture of entrepreneur or no. For example, I see that, for example, in Spain, the people, they doesn't like to be entrepreneur. They don't like to make companies. There are a lot of people who make companies. And there are places like, for example, Barcelona, there are a lot of startups, but it's not something normal. But there are very, very good stand, startups, but in places where the government or the culture help. But for example, when you go to South America, I can see that everyone is a startup. Everyone, because you are walking on the street and there is a guy selling to you napkins because he or she has no money. And then everyone is doing something to make money because yeah, yeah. there is no government behind helping you. There is nothing. So and unless you are able to make yourself an entrepreneur, you're not able to to do a thing. So it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, this, this, this way to be an entrepreneur because you're forced to be. Yeah, exactly. And just makes you think, just makes you think how successful the whole company, the whole country could be if it was easier to be an entrepreneur. It was, if it wasn't so hard, because it's really, really hard, you know, from the point of view of uh, what you need to do, the, the, the laws and regulations, uh, you, you basically get treated like, uh, you know, uh, company owner in Brazil is, is usually, you feel like you're a criminal until proven otherwise. <laughs> Nobody, I mean this from the point of view of the government, you know, you need to go through all sorts of regulatory hoops just to survive and you know, fill, fill up a lot of crazy forms and stuff like that. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Pablo. I mean, it's ex exactly the same in Brazil, you know. Yeah. Yeah, this is really a part of the culture. I think the fact that you had to work and experience so different environments uh, gives you a benefit and uh, um, I don't know, a benefit over other people uh, who only worked in one environment, uh, who only worked with European people and you had to work like from different cultures and understand so many different people's um, differences in approaches. And this gives you, in my opinion, uh, a, a really good uh, benefit that uh, will allow you to create something big in the future. I hope so. Anyway, thank you for sharing this with us. It was very entertaining, very interesting to learn about all of this, many of which I didn't know. I think a lot of people are going to disagree with us regarding how we treat <laughs> Germans. I think so. <laughs> Please don't take this personally, but if you do, uh, give us, send us a message on comments below or in the email uh, for those who are subscribed to our MKDF uh, dispatch newsletter. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining us, guys. And see you in two weeks. Bye bye. Bye guys. Thank you for having me. See you. The cloud tech industry is evolving so fast. Do you keep up with it by improving your skills or upskilling your team? At MKDev, we offer a variety of workshops for just that, from the basics to expert knowledge. 
Before delivering our workshops and training sessions, we carry out a detailed assessment of each participant. To make sure the workshop is helpful for you and your team, we will add more content to it or throw out what you already know. Or we create a custom workshop specifically for the needs of your team and the specifics of your project. 